Welcome back, book lovers. I'm so excited that you are joining me for another episode of Hey, I'm Writing, the podcast where we take a behind-the-scenes look at the messier side of the publishing world that people don't usually talk about and origin stories from your favorite authors on how they came to be within the publishing world. I am so excited because in today's episode, we're actually talking with a dear friend of mine. You guys know her. You've seen her books everywhere. She is a USA Today bestseller. She's done all sorts of amazing things. And I actually had the opportunity to meet her a few months ago in St. Louis for PendCon. And I cannot wait to bring her on today's podcast. Now, she has been a guest star on Young Adult Edition, my live broadcast talk show, which happens every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Facebook.com slash Young Adult Edition. And without fail, every single time I talk to this woman, we gain so much information from her. She is so incredibly giving of her knowledge and experience in her years as an author. And today she's actually breaking down quite a bit of really amazing content. So whether you are a new author, an established author, or you're just a book lover who wants to learn more about her story, today Elise Kova is dropping all of the truth bombs in our episode of Hey, I'm Writing. So are you guys ready? Let's dive in. Elise Kova, I am so excited to have you for the podcast. Welcome to Hey, I'm Writing. I want to jump in and talk with you about your books. Now, you have been a guest on Young Adult Edition. We've heard a little bit about your stories, but how did you actually get into the publishing world? So my my entry into publishing is the most roundabout, nonsensical way i think you'll probably hear in at least a hot minute. I was living in Japan. So I guess I have to rewind a little bit further from that. <laughs> um, I When I finished my master's program, I had that moment of, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a house. I don't have a career job yet. I don't have anything tying me down. I want to have a life adventure. So I sold off everything I owned. I reduced my life down to two suitcases and a Tupperware, a giant like plastic bin in my parents' house, sold everything else. And I moved to Japan and got a job working in Japan. And at that time I was teaching English as a second language. I eventually became a second grade teacher over there. And I was just on this life adventure. And one of the, my coworkers was really into writing actually. And I had always loved writing and storytelling and whatnot. Um, but that kind of reignited that passion for me. At the same time, I was obsessed with Thor the Marvel movie and specifically Loki. <laughs> and I, I have always loved fan fiction and I was like, I want to write a fan fiction. But then as I, as I start sitting down to write, I keep getting this feeling of like, you're going to get 80,000 words into this and you're not going to be able to do anything because it's a fan fiction and it's not your world. It's not your characters and you're going to hate yourself. So I, took took a breath, walked away, and I was like, all right, I want to write my own story. So that was the impetus. And because it sort of came from this fan fiction mindset, I started publishing a chapter a day on fiction press. So this was before like I even I didn't even look at like how do I write a novel? What to do with planning or plotting? I just sat down and I started writing chapters. And I started out writing two to three thousand words every day. And by the end of it I was writing probably four to 6,000 words a day. And I did it religiously. Like, I think I only missed Christmas. Um, and I did that for about eight months. I drafted the entire, what is now the original Air Awakens series of five books. And by the end of it, you know, surprise, surprise, posting every single day got me a, a decent following. And so I had all these followers ask, well, okay, what's next? What are you, when are we going to, have this in book form? Are you going to publish it? And I was like, oh, snap, what is next? And so I had a friend from college, actually, um, Michelle Maddow, who had gone into publishing. And she actually, she signed on with an agent when she was in college and got her first book deal, like, right, I think she was like a junior or senior in college when that happened. And so I sent her an email and I was like, yo, I know we never really hang hung out, but my friend and your friend, we're both really good friends with this other girl and hi, <laughs> can you please help SOS? And so she she was immensely kind, immensely generous with her time. And she was the one who sort of told me, okay, this is how you go about getting agents. And I sent um, at least the first couple chapters to her. I don't remember if she read the whole book or not. She might've. And she gave me feedback on it. And she was like, okay, here's the querying process. So 
we're at about 2013 now. I start querying agents and I queried 111 agents um, in the span of about a year and they all rejected me. Um, and so I we're now in January ish of 2015 or so and end of end of 2014 start 2015 somewhere in there I had that moment where you know you break down on the cry on on the floor crying because you're like I can't handle another rejection and so I, I made a line in my Excel spreadsheet and I said okay I'm gonna query this many more agents and then I'm gonna wait two or three months I'm gonna give everyone time and then I'm gonna start self-publishing. And if if an agent comes back to me, then I can put a brakes on the self-publishing thing. But I never had that resistance to self-publishing that a lot of people have. Um, or I, I think it's less now, but especially, you know, five to eight years ago, self-publishing even then still had a little bit more of that stigma. And mm -hmm. I never and and I don't know if it was because I, I kind of did grow up more in the digital age and that that was on that transition point or or what, but I never had a resistance to self-publishing. So I said, I believe in my story. I know there are people who like this. I'm okay putting it out there because publishing wasn't a career path for me at that point. I, again, I, I had my MBA. I was going into corporate America. That was my career path. Publishing was just the sort of thing that I was like, this is like a hobby. This is a cool hobby. And so, but... On the flip side, I had this MBA where my brain is going, if you're going to do this, you must treat it like a business and be responsible and do it right. So I took a year. I self-published Air Awakens in August of 2015 was when it was released. The final book in the Air Awakens series, Crystal Crowns, came out July of 2016. That was the book that hit the USA Today bestseller list on release. And... Since then, I have published, I think my 22nd or 23rd novel is coming out in March of this year. I now have an agent and I have worked with a small press on the traditional side of things. So I'm a happy hybrid full-time author and don't know how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> and you are hybrid. So you are doing both indie and trad and you have things out right now in both worlds, right? Yes. So I have one series with a small medium press. Um, that's my Loom Saga. And that is technically an adult. It's like an adult YA crossover. Um, and so that's with a traditional publisher. Most of my stuff is independently published. And then my agent does have a manuscript right now. And we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. It is, it is being sent out to traditional publishers. If they like it, they like it. Let's sit at the the table and see if we can hammer out a deal. And if not, then that's okay too. Because again, I obviously don't have a stigma stigma with traditional or independent publishing. So going forward, you're looking at both avenues for publishing your books. What yes. does it actually take for you to sign on with a trad publisher? Like, what are those staple things that you have to have in order to sign that contract? So I think this is different, obviously, for every author. For me, the advance does play a big role because the industry of publishing, as you know, the industry of publishing is not a secure financial industry. Um, your, your revenue is pretty much a roller coaster. And so what really appeals to me on the traditional front of publishing is the advance. It's that bird in the hand. And yes, I have to deliver a manuscript, but I'm 23 something manuscripts. And now I'm pretty confident I can, I can get a manuscript to the publisher to verify that I get my advance. So that aspect of a traditional publisher is very appealing to me. Then there are other things, of course, like distribution channels. Um, traditional publishers can distri distribute books in ways that independent authors can't. They can open doors that independent authors can't and reach markets that I really can't right now. And that's very appealing. So a lot of a lot of my signing with a traditional publisher would depend, like I said, on, on the advance and on the other terms of the deal of both rights and ownership, as well as what they kind of see as their vision for where they want to take the book. I want to backtrack just a little bit because earlier you mentioned that your first series did really, really well, and it was indie. Yes. So the last book in your first series, you just said, hit a list on release. How did you do that? I got lucky. <laughs> like, like I really, and this is one of those things that I, I really, I really wish I could say 
this is what I did. Um, and, and I, I can't do that with certainty. Um, I, I think it was a number of things I do to a certain extent ascribe to, you know, you make your own success, success, you make your own luck. But I, I think it was, I, I approached the books, the series smartly. I, I had leading up to the release of the first book, like I said, I approached it like a business and I thought of it like a product. So I prepared a business plan. I prepared a marketing plan where I watched what both independent authors and traditional publishers were doing for a year leading up to it. I actually, as an indie author, I sent out physical arcs to reviewers. I mean, not many, but I sent out physical arcs to reviewers three or four months before the release on publication. I, I worked with Instagrammers. I made sure I set up my pre-orders so that there was always a book on pre-order whenever the, ne the next book was on pre-order when the previous book was released. And so I did a lot of that, that my list hitting really came from the pre-orders and building that, that followership. But while I would say I made a bunch of smart choices on that respect, it also came down to right book, right time, right cover, right blurb, right everything. And that's, and that is the lightning in a bottle that this, I feel that this industry is, which is you can't guarantee that you're gonna, you could do everything right and have a flop. You could do everything wrong and have a success. Like there is that, that variable there that really is just overcome with perseverance. And, and I, I got lucky on my first series. Which is amazing. And I know you mentioned that you had your books on pre-order when the book came out. So the next book was up and ready to be purchased. So how often were you putting these books out? Were you doing this rapid release? I released every three months. And that's been pretty much my publication schedule up until this point where, yay, thank you, Amazon gods that be, um, have now allowed us to have longer pre-orders, which I am going to make use of purely because I do write long books and writing a 90 to 120 K book and getting it edited it's for publication every three months is exhausting. It's <laughs> so a lot of work. it is a lot of work. And so I, I am very excited. I don't know if I'm going to go the full year on a, any kind of regular basis. I think while I'm in a series, I do like releasing a little bit faster than that, but I, I do like that we now have room to breathe as authors. <laughs> Now, because you do this rapid release system, I know you have to knock out those books back to back. Do you take a break in between your series or do you just kind of launch in your next one? I I usually take a little bit of a break between series. Um, I have launched right into the next one as one finishes. Um, but most of the time, I'll take a little bit of a longer break of, of I would say, four to five months rather than immediately having the next book on pre-order. When Vortex Chronicles, my current series, when that ends, I will have the first book in my next series on pre-order. But again, that's only because we do have these year-long pre-orders. So I am going to set it for a year out and just say, I may pull the date in. The date's temporary. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but but I can do that now um, at, with confidence that I can still have sort of that recharge time. So as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time and has been extremely successful, what did you learn when you first got into the industry that could benefit our people? Man, I learned so much. It's always a hard question to say, like, what's one thing? Um, the Probably one of the bigger things that struck me out the gate is the importance of networking and the importance of making genuine connections with other authors and not just a... Yes, it's fine to have professional, respectful relationships where it's, we don't talk, we don't hang out, but hey, can you do a newsletter swap with me sometimes? But it's also one of those things that having those professional connections really does help long-term. And and all, all authors are in this together. And I, I'm one who believes a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that that the authors, that, that the mentality that authors are, competing against each other always, I, I truly find to be disheartening because I don't think that's true. I, there, there are enough readers in the world for all of us. So, so I think, I think networking and reaching out to people and, and being willing to be open is hard, but it's, it's something that really helps. And I think of, um, one example is Susan Dennard, who's, who's a good friend of mine now. And, 
she was releasing Truth Witch. It came out a couple months, maybe two or three months right after Air Awakens came out. And they both have elemental magic in them. They both kind of have that, that vibe of otherworldliness. They're both YA. And so I sent her like a total like noob, don't even know the rules of the rules of the game. There are no rules of the game secret. Um, <laughs> but I sent her a message on Twitter and I was just like, hi, you have an elemental magic book coming out. I just released an elemental magic book. If you ever want to like cross promo or anything, I'd be happy to do that. And she messaged me back and we started talking and we talked for about a month. And then she was like, hey, I'm going to this convention. Do you want to come? And so I was like, sure. <laughs> and I hopped on a plane about, I booked a flight. I hopped on a plane about two weeks later and I crashed in her hotel room. And so I think that sort of being willing to, to put yourself out there, both to sell your book and both to make connections in the industry is really important. And then, then the other thing that I would say that's always up there is if you are in this to make money, it needs to be treated like a business. And I say if you're in this to make money purely because I do know authors out there who aren't. This is a hobby to them. And that's totally valid and totally okay. And I never want to say that isn't. But if you are going into this saying, I want to make money, whether that's to replace your current job or subsidize it in a meaningful way, you need to realize that you're entering, a, you're starting a business and you're entering an industry and that requires thoughtfulness and work. I firmly believe we're soul sisters. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this. But you've been in the industry a lot of years now. You are coming up on your fifth anniversary of your first book coming out. You've been like hardcore working for six years within this industry. So now that you are extremely well established and doing so well, what advice would you give to us as someone who has learned? Oh, as, as someone who's, who's already kind of established in the, in the industry, are you saying? Yeah. I would, I would say always be willing to adapt. So when I first started publishing, Twitter was really big and, and Twitter is still very meaningful and Twitter has, has a lot that it can do. And if Twitter is your jam, make Twitter your jam. But I think Instagram is probably if I tell I tell new authors that if you're going to focus on one social media right now, have a Facebook off to the side just because it's important for groups and for advertising. But if you're going to actually post and have a social media presence, Instagram is what I recommend. And and I think to see that transition of it going from Twitter being book, Twitter being really powerful to bookstagram and book Instagram being really powerful. It just to me highlights how quickly things change and how quickly you need to be able to adapt and that what's working now isn't going to be what works tomorrow. And um, there is there's an expression that I've heard for a long time in the business world, which is innovate or die. And I think that is very present in the book world, um, that you have to be dynamic and you have to be flexible and you always have to be asking what's next, because if you stay where you are, you're going to get left behind. And as a professional social media strategist, I can completely validate what you've just said. This is so true. Social media is changing so rapidly and we face that obstacle of having to learn what is next and adapt to that. So as somebody who has gone through all these adaptations with social media, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about some of the other obstacles you faced as an author. So what have you come up against and how have you gotten around it? I I think I think the the constant re rejection is a big one. And and when I say constant rejection, I don't just mean agents. That was that was the first kind of instance of rejection. But part of being an author is putting yourself out there and putting yourself out there in what is what and what feels like a very personal way it's your books and for many of us these books represent a part of us and and years or of of hard work or countless hours and someone out there is going to read it and they're going to hate it so it's not just re rejections in the industry of publishers rejecting you or agents rejecting you, but it's also the rejection, the constant rejection of reviewers and fans and readers. And I'm not bashing readers who hate books. That is well within every reader's right to not like a book. But as an author, you 
have to get used to that. And, and the way you approach getting used to that is, is something that I think is personal to every author, but it is definitely a hurdle that you have to overcome by being able to look out into the world when Viterol is being spewed all around you and just go, okay, that's nice. <laughs> you're, you're that dog in the comic where it's like, this is fine. And there's fire all around you. Fine. Yeah. Um, I think the other big hurdle that I ran into as, and, and this kind of hit my, I would say my second into my third year of publishing. I, as I mentioned, I got really lucky with Air Awakens and <laughs> there was a little bit of that naivete when I released my sophomore series of like, I'm just going to put it out and it's going to sell like crazy. And it did well. I'm, I am very blessed to have really loyal readers that I, I love and I appreciate. But it wasn't what Air Awakens was. And I think that was the awakening for me of going, oh, this really is an industry where it is feast or famine. And you can have years where you are off the charts and, and the bank account is happy and you're happy and the reviewers like the books and things are great. Just like you can have years where that roller coaster dips and none of that is happy. And, and it's learning how to weather the valleys as well as temper the excitement when you're on the mountaintop and realize that what goes up inevitably is going to come down. And it's, it's trying to find that baseline for yourself through it all. That was so well said. I love that. Uh, you mentioned that it can be a little hard to face reviews sometimes. Are you one of those authors who actually reads your reviews or do you avoid them? Do you have someone read them and bring you the valid parts? Like, what do you do when it comes to reviews? So I, this was a question I asked myself when Air Awakens came out because I didn't know what to do. Because when you, when you have that first one star review, that's just scathing. You're like, what do I do? Everyone hates me. And so... I, I know authors who don't read reviews at all. And, and that's kind of the approach that they took. I took the opposite approach. I basically said, I'm going to read every single review and I'm going to regularly read and reread the one star reviews because I was more, I'm very much one of those people who in general, I like more information rather than less. I'm like, tell me even if it hurts me because whatever you say can't be as bad as what my mind is going to invent of how bad it is. And so I read every negative review and every good review, but I, I actually read the negative ones a couple times over to the point that I really desensitized myself to negative reviews. I also saw the patterns in negative reviews where it's, it's something that I think I can more identify when a negative review comes in this was a bad book fit. This isn't an, a, a necessarily a true criticism of my writing, but it was a bad book fit for this person, which doesn't make the review invalid, but it also, for me as an author, I don't have as much to take away from that review versus a review that it was a good book fit, but I didn't deliver on a promise I made to my reader or there was a valid criticism in the work. Um, so now I, I keep up with reviews for the first, I would say 50 or so reviews after release, I, I try to read every single one. And I do that predominantly just to get a barometer on, on where my craft is at. Um, because if there is a massive problem in the book, if there are massive edits that somehow me and all my editors missed, um, or if, if there's something that I can improve upon in the future, I want to know that. But then after the first 50 or so, I kind of start to tune them out because at that point, I sort of know what people are going to say, what the criticisms are going to be. And I just kind of am like, whatever. But I, I'm, I'm at a point with reviews where I have pretty thick skin. Every now and then I do get one though, where I'm like, I wish I could reply to you. <laughs> Not because I want to fight anybody, but because sometimes like someone says something and I'm like, but, but, but you missed this thing in that chapter. That there is an answer to this question, <laughs> and you'll be happier if you know it. But I can't tell you. <laughs> That's the worst thing about reviews, isn't it? That we can't respond to them. Yeah, it's it's hard sometimes, and and I do think it's I do think it's for the best that authors don't respond to reviews and and yeah. and whatnot. But mm -hmm. I there are definitely times where someone is like, I was just really confused about this, and I just want to be like. But okay, that's there. on me. I should have explained it better, but reread this next chapter or reread this one chapter before you read the next book. So that way you're square on what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. And I like how you kind of 
said that you are identifying patterns within your reviews. I'm one of those girls. I don't read my reviews. I don't go anywhere near them. I do have a friend who will look over things and bring me things if it's important, but I won't touch mine. But I really like that you are looking at those negative reviews and you're looking specifically for patterns and things that you can see that are coming in from multiple sources and not just someone lashing out because they don't like something or it wasn't a good fit for them. I really like that you're specifically looking for those things that are said by multiple people in similar ways that are valid points that you can then take back to what you're doing. So I love how you've actually implemented that into your marketing strategy and your writing strategy. And I think I think one of the things that I, I strongly believe is that authors and authors have an unspoken promise with their readers. And that promise is both founded on the relationship we fostered with the readers through our past works and interactions with them, as well as the promise that we make through advertising and through our blurb. And so sometimes if a book comes out and people are like, I was expecting this from the blurb, but I didn't get it. That to me says it's as simple as a fix of, I need to just change my marketing strategy because I thought what I was advertising, I delivered in the book and clearly I wasn't. And and that's, that's on me and I need to fix that. And so sometimes I do think that, you know, there are ways like that, for instance, where you can look at reviews and you can make these changes that don't require re-editing the whole book or changing fundamental things, but it's just making sure the right reader is the person who clicks by. And I think that's really a very valid point as well, because sometimes our blurbs aren't delivering quite the way we think they are. And it's not that our writing is terrible. It's not that the book maybe isn't right for them. It could potentially be that we're just marketing to the wrong people and they picked it up based on what we were doing. So I love that you're actually pointing out that it's not necessarily our writing that's kind of what's coming down to with this. I like that it could potentially be how we're leveraging our marketing. So shout out for that. Now, before we continue with Elise and talk all about her writing schedule, a quick word from one of our affiliates. Now, you all know that I am a huge fan of retelling. So when author Amber Ardul announced that she was doing a Thumbelina retelling, I was so incredibly excited. When Stars Are Bright is an amazing retelling of Thumbelina with a historical twist and a touch of magic. For Lena Holt, a Dutch 17-year-old with a flair for singing, 1930 is going to be her year. Her longtime boyfriend is about to propose, and her mother will finally realize their relationship isn't a passing phase. But when a stranger snatches her from her backyard, everything changes. Lena is thrust into the spotlight of a New York vaudeville show where she's paired with Nick, a mysterious pianist. The two bond during rehearsals, and it doesn't take long before Nick puts himself at risk to confess a hidden truth. Without Lena, the show is in its last season, and there's no way she'll be allowed to slip through the owner's fingers. Not when she carries fairy magic in her blood a gift that turns her songs into a dangerously addictive drug. If Lena ever wants to return home, she must learn who to trust before she's forced to remain a prisoner on stage forever. When Stars Are Bright is a historical Thumbelina retelling with a touch of magic by Amber R. Duell and is available everywhere books are sold. Okay, let's dive back into our conversation with author Elise Kova and have a conversation about her writing schedule. I want to change gears just a little bit. I want to talk about your writing schedule. So you put out a ton of books. You've got a lot of things going on. I know the face you're giving me right now is amazing. For those of you who are not on the podcast or you are on the podcast and you can't see our faces, it's an amazing face. Uh, Elise, tell me what your writing schedule looks like. Writing schedule? What writing schedule? What is what? this thing of which you speak? Um <laughs> So my my writing schedule, I I use this website now called Pacemaker is what it's called. And what I really like about it is you can put in your start date, end date, and the number of words. And I'm now kind of at a point where I can I can look at an outline, like a rough concept of a novel, and I can say, okay, I think this is going to be about 80,000, 90,000, 120, you know, whatever, a thousand words. Um, and I end up being pretty close to that. So I can put in that and then I can, the, the website will actually generate different work schedules. You can do like, I want to start off with less words, go up to more words, then go back down. I want it random. I want it evenly distributed. You can put things like, I don't want to work on weekends or I need to take these days off. And it automatically recalculates based on the parameters as well as days you take off. So I love that tool and I have really started using it. My problem is, is that 
around 30% to 40% of the way through the book. I'm out of the I'm out of the exciting introduction. I'm not quite at the climax and I'm in the dreaded middle. And there's that just this little voice in my brain that comes in and is like, you don't actually have to write. You don't need to do anything today. It'll be fine. We'll just write 5,000 words in an hour tomorrow. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> that little voice in my brain is saying all these things. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can play Super Smash Brothers for three hours today. That's totally fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I, for one reason or another, get behind. And then I realize my deadline is in a week or two weeks. And then I end up writing like 60,000 words in five days and hate myself. Um, so... I, I'm trying constantly. Each year gets a little better to to make a writing schedule and stick to it. But my writing style, I feel like, inevitably falls back to, well, let's write a novel this week then, because you procrastinated. Oh, yes. Sounds like so much fun. I feel like this next one's going to have a great answer as well. I want to talk to you about your writing process and specifically how it's changed. So when you first started out, what were you doing? And now that you are five, six years into this, how has that writing process on a daily or weekly basis changed for you? Oh, a lot. Um, so when I wrote Air Awakens, I pantsed it. I didn't outline anything. I had some rough ideas. I had some scenes in my head, but I just, I found the story as I wrote it, which was really fun and really exciting. And I'm actually doing a, a somewhat similar experiment with it right now on, on a Patreon I started called the Crowdsource Novel, where I'm crowdsourcing my next novel, much like I kind of did with fiction press um, and get that instant reader feedback. But once it becomes your writing for passion versus your writing for work, a lot of things change. Um, even if you don't want them to, a lot of things change because it does become, am I making a product people will want while still being true to my creative self? And that is a really hard line to straddle. And it really is one of those things that as much as you want to, it's very difficult to push that out of your mind when you sit down to write. I also have to be a lot more diligent with my writing schedule where I, I am writing for publication. I do have to edit while I'm drafting, while I'm planning another novel. Um, and wear all of those those hats at once. Whereas with Air Awakens, when I published the first one, I already had all five books drafted. Now they basically needed to be rewritten because the edits were that heavy. But I knew the story I was driving toward. I had all five books. Now there's a lot more thoughtful planning of, I don't have book five written when I'm editing book one to make sure that all of my foreshadowing is perfect. Um, and I need to be really a lot more careful in what I'm planning and driving toward that in a thoughtful way. Um, and then there's just also, again, like I said, the schedule in the sense of I book with my editor and I book with my proofer and I book with my cover artists and all of that as I'm drafting. And if I don't hit a deadline, it screws up everyone. And if I don't hit a deadline in a dramatic way, that could potentially delay a book because you know, my, I'm not my editor's only client. I'm not my proofer's only client. And they scheduling me in around other people. So, so there is a lot more of that pressure of not only are you writing to publish, writing a product to deliver to real readers, but there are other people who are kind of counting on me to deliver when I say I'm going to for their businesses as well. So, so that's definitely a lot more a lot more impactful. And then I also I also think the final thing I would say of a big change is just the naivety of when you first start out, you don't know how much goes into every stage of the process. And I, I saw a pie chart floating around in some author groups where it's like what readers think writing a book is like. And it basically has, you know, 95% of the pie chart as writing the book and then 5% is everything else. And then a different pie chart of what it's actually like. And writing the book is only maybe 25%, maybe. I would even say it's probably like 15. And then you have editing, editing again, promotions, <laughs> planning, production. So so all of all of that, when when I sit down and I write the first sentence of a book, it definitely now is, it's still exciting. It's still exhilarating. I love it. 
But at the same time, there's also that thing in the back of my head where it's like, there's a little bit of masochism here because I know what I am signing myself up for. <laughs> That's so funny. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize just how many people touch a book before it goes out. The team that you have to build around you is enormous. Talk to me a little bit about your team. So I have I have a team. My core team is usually about three people at, at the very least. I have now that's going to expand. So right now I have one editor whom I use for developmental edits and line edits. For people who are unfamiliar, developmental edits are changes to the large story structure. So they're things like this character arc doesn't go anywhere, or you have a point of view for a character, but they really have no action or autonomy why do you have this point of view as why do you have these point of view chapters change or remove so those are going to be your massive level changes that editor right now also does line editing for me and line editing is then more micro where it's looking at continuity in the overall story but also if you have a character who's sitting in one paragraph and suddenly they're standing in the next paragraph and you're like what um as well as that's when you start to look at grammar, syntax, all of that, spelling. And then I have a proofer who goes through and catches just are the I's dotted, T's crossed. And is there anything, anything last minute? I always tell my proofers where I'm like, I'm not going to change major story elements. But if there is something that you see that you are like, for the love of goodness and all that is holy, you cannot publish this book within <laughs> it, tell me. Um, so I have that. I also have, uh, usually a couple beta readers and then, um, I do all of my interior formatting and my cover prep, but I do work with illustrators for the actual illustrations that my cover, that I then uh, make print ready and put text over and whatnot. So I would say my core team right now is two, maybe three beta readers and then my developmental and line editor, my proofreader, and my cover artist. So six people. But then my current, my editor is actually going to only do developmental. So I'll add another line editor in there. Um, and that's that's for my independently published books. Now, my traditionally published books, of course, would have a different set of people. It would be somewhat similar, but there would potentially be even more people because you have my agent looking at it. You potentially have an editor who looks at it before it gets sent to editors for at publication houses. Then you have those editors and those teams in the houses and whatnot. There's a lot that goes into building a team and getting a book out there. And I want to talk a little bit about your process for actually getting your book out there, specifically how you are writing your books and what your computer screen looks like. So are you using tools? Do you have extras? Do you have specific screens that you've got up on your computer? Do you have specific documents? What does that look like for you? So I, as I mentioned already, I use Pacemaker, which is open as a tab in one of the, my web browsers. I usually, I'm one of those people who has like 50 tabs open at a time. Um, <laughs> but most, if not all of my work now lives in Scrivener. I am a huge Scrivener fan. I love it. I keep all of my world building, all of my timelines, all of my manuscripts actually will be in one Scrivener document for a series. So I am pretty much just Scrivener is open when I'm writing, just because if I have too many other things open, I will get distracted and I won't look at Scrivener and I won't write like I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I do use Scrivener split screen. So I'll have on one screen will be either my outline or any kind of notes or world building that I'm referencing, and then the chapter that I'm working on in, in the other screen. Um, but I'm pretty much just a Scrivener user when I'm drafting. So when it comes to building out your books, your characters, your world building, how are you actually fleshing things out? Do you have a specific way you're fleshing out your characters or? I don't have a very clear system. I have an, I have an informal system and, and it's been really fun with, as I mentioned, my Patreon with the crowdsource novel, because I am working with readers now to generate a world based on feedback they give me. So I've had to kind of distill down my process and be really thoughtful about it of, oh, what do I actually do in this crazy head of mine? And so I've kind of found that my process for world building, it usually starts with I call it kind of the kernel of inspiration, the little seed that, and that can be anything. That can be a song that sparks sparks an idea or a character. That can be a painting. That could be a piece of fan art. That could be a game I play. That could be 
whatever. Um, so like for Air Awakens, my initial kernel was the song Clarity by Zed um, featuring Foxes. For the Loom Saga, the kernel of inspiration was the game Bloodborne. So all of these kind of have these little kernels of inspiration in them. And then from there, from whatever that kernel spawns, I then start to ask questions. I'm, I, which is somewhat like Snowflake method esque. Um, for anyone who wants to to kind of look into a developmental process, um, the Snowflake method is really interesting. And taking Air Awakens, for example, I had. I heard the Zed song Clarity. I had this image of a girl in a windstorm, a guy trying to get to him, or like this magical maelstrom, and this guy trying to get to her. And I was like, why is there love clarity? Why is there love insanity? And I and I really started just going out from there of okay, well, if they have this dynamic, then then their love's insanity. Well, why does that dynamic in this world equal insanity? And and so kind of, I'm, I'm very question oriented. And I'm also very focused on when it comes to world building, the history of the world. There's a, a Tolkien quote that was, I think it was in a letter to his editor when he was arguing why the Similarian should be published at the same time as Lord of the Rings. And the Tolkien quote effectively, I'm, I'm not going to get it verbatim, but it effectively says that every story happens at the fall. And what he was kind of getting at was that Lord of the Rings happened because of the fall of the elves. And so it's this notion that where a story begins is where another story ends. And the ending of that story sets up the circumstances for the story that you're in. And so that's a really big thing that's part of my process is I look at why is this world the way it is? If these characters hate each other, they need history of why they hate each other and or, or kingdoms or whatever. And, and that's a really big component of my world building process. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, I do want to backtrack just a little bit because you have mentioned your crowdsource novel that you're working on. So what do we need to know about this? Because it sounds amazing. <laughs> so this is an idea I've had for a while. Um, at the start of 2020, my goal for these first couple months is I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a break and I'm like, I'm trying to find my roots, trying to realign myself with my muse because I have been writing so aggressively for publication for a long time now. And one of the ways I wanted to do that was I kind of wanted to go back to my fiction press roots where I was writing a chapter every day and getting feedback. And that was sort of, I wasn't writing to what the feedback I got, but there was also that element of being able to have readers say, oh my God, I love this character. This character is awesome and go, okay, so it's not just me. I'll, I'll make this character more important. Let's go, let's do this. Um, and so I wanted to capture that and take it to the next level. And I, I wanted to open up my brain and open up my process. And what I'm doing is it's on Patreon. Um, the lowest Patreon amount, uh, the lowest patron amount is uh, $2 a month. And what I'm doing is I'm releasing two to three chapters at the start of each month. And then I'm having polls and discussions throughout the month on what the character should do next, how they should approach a situation. If the characters, you know, I may end a chapter where a character walks in and it's just like, oh, him. Why did she say that? Does she love him? Did she love him? Does she want him? Does she hate him? Did he screw her over? Like, and basically I'm going in with as little expectation as possible and really letting my readers guide what this novel becomes. So we had about, a month and a half where we did world building together. And I had a, about 30 polls where I asked things like, what architecture inspiration do you like? What art inspiration do you like? What characters in fantasy novels do you like to see? What races? What, um, what tropes do you like? What tropes do you not like? And from that, I built out the world. And we're at the stage now where I wrote three different chapter ones of three different characters in this world. And they're picking which character they want the novel to be about. So that's where we're at right now. And come February, I'll be posting chapters probably two through three or four. And the story will really get off the ground. This is absolutely fascinating. Now, what do you plan on doing this with this when you get to the end of it? Are you putting it as a book? Is it specifically on your Patreon? Like, are you going to expand it? What's your plan? 
So I will be publishing it. I don't know if it's going to be the first book in a series or if it's going to be a standalone. That's something that, again, my patrons are going to get to help decide um, once we get a little bit kind of further in. Um, I, I There's a point in my head. It, it, it's weird. There's a point in my head where I know it'll be the, okay, is this a standalone or are we continuing this on, guys? Because now's kind of the point where if I'm sewing this up in one book, we need to make that call. Um, but it will be published. And, and what I am also telling my patrons is this is a rough draft. Like this is, you're going to see my draft in draft form where it is not pretty and it is messy. And I think that's going to be one of the really cool parts of the process is after 2020 is over and the book is drafted, I'll then put it through my normal editorial process. And all of my patrons are going to be able to see and compare kind of where the book was and where the book ended up. And that can also be a part of that discussion of why were these things changed? What prompt, if something was changed, why was it prompted to change? And, and how was that choice made from an editorial level? So it, it will ultimately be published probably sometime in 2021. So this is like a year long project for you in draft form going through all of this. This is fascinating. I love this. Are your fans responding really well to this? Yes, it's been so exciting. We have a discord and we talk like every day with um, with all the patrons and it's a patron only discord. And um, I've had so much fun putting out the polls and the, there's one public poll right now. It's only public until Monday. I can send you the link. And uh, um but every now and then I will be doing public polls either on Twitter or on my Instagram. So keep an eye out for that. And, and yeah, it's, it's gotten really good reception so far. And of course, the more people who are involved, the better, because that just means more points of view, more discussions, more brainstorming. And, and we can really see what, what it ends up being turned into. I am so excited to check this out. Guys, if you want to get involved with this, make sure you go over to Elisa's Patreon. You want to get involved right now because it's all sorts of fun. I can't wait to hear more about the behind the scenes of this. Um, but we are coming to the end of our podcast. Ooh. I know. So sad. We have a couple more questions to get answered. We do have a fan question for you. I'm excited for this one. Um, they want to know if you could be any character in any of your books, which would it be and why? <sighs> That's really hard. We ask That's the hard really questions That's really hard. <laughs> okay, I'm going to rule out the world of the Loom saga. As cool as I think that world is, if I lived on Loom, I would probably die. And if I lived on Nova, <laughs> I would probably die. Even as a character in that world, I would probably die. Well, so good one to rule out then. <laughs> I'm going to rule that one out. I'm going to rule out the Wish Quartet only because that world gets destroyed and remade. Um, and that that just sounds like a lot that I don't want to deal with. Um, <laughs> I I would have to I would have to say if I could be any character, maybe maybe Alicia, maybe or because because from the Air Awaken series, because she is she is. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast. She's badass, <laughs> and she she I love her. She's strong. She's feisty. Um, she. She takes no prisoners. Um, so maybe her or maybe a character from Air Awakens Vortex Chronicles, my current series, uh, named Denia. I really like Denia. Um, and she is she is awesome. Uh, similar, very strong, sassy, and takes no prisoners. So um, maybe maybe one of those two. And, and I mean, spoiler alert, neither of them die. <laughs> that does help. I think. Yeah. I feel like when I answer that question, I don't think about that far. Like, do they die? I don't consider that when I answer. So I probably should start considering that. I'm like, I'm like, I want magic. I want a relatively stable world and I don't want to die. Like, those are my... There you go. Easy request, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you have been in the industry for a long time. You're doing so incredibly well. So before we let you go, I have to ask about your advice for our writers and for our listeners and for our people just getting into the industry. So I'm going to break this down for you. The first thing I want to know is your advice for aspiring authors. So these are people who are writing, who want to get into the publishing industry, but are not there yet. What advice do you have for them? I would say the first couple things that come to mind, as I said, rejection is normal and common in the industry. Get used to it. Whatever you have to do to develop that thick skin for it, but, you know, just because you had two or three agents reject you doesn't mean anything about your book. 
Um, just because you got two or three bad reviews doesn't necessarily mean anything about your book. So, so soldier, soldier forward. Um, with that, with that perseverance, um, patience is a really big one, especially if you're going into traditional publishing. Traditional publishing moves glacially slow. The other thing that I would say too with patience is even if you're going into independent publishing, give yourself the time to do to publish thoughtfully. Don't just say, I'm going to do indie publishing. I'm going to hit publish. Let's see what's ha what happens. Do your research, make a plan, make a launch strategy. And then the the final thing that I would that I would say, and, and this is part of my big belief, is editors are worth their weight in gold. And find a good editor. Yes, it will cost some money, but but find a good editor, have an editorial budget, and remember that you are hiring that person for a reason and trust them when they say something because 99.9% .9 of the time, they're going to make your manuscript better with that feedback. And so that is, I'm a firm believer of every author should have at the very minimum one other expert set of eyes on their manuscript. And I say expert because that's more than just your mom, your brother, your sister, your best friend, whatever, which are all valid people to send your manuscript to. But, but I think it's very important for authors just starting out to also have that focus on craft and, and, start fostering a good relationship with an editor. And I think that's really important because while your mom, your sister, your brother, all the fabulous people in your life are very well-meaning, they don't necessarily know all the things that you learn once you get into the industry. I know for me personally, I learned an awful lot about grammar after I became an author and I'm a teacher. So <laughs> you learn a lot. So having that expert there is really, really an important step of the process. Now, for people who are brand new to the industry, so they have a book coming out in the next couple of months or within the last year, what advice would you have for them? Your debut is not a guarantee of future success or lack thereof. Um, if your debut comes out and it crushes it, do not be in a lease. Do not assume that every book you release from then on is going to crush it. But the reverse of that is true. If your debut comes out and it is a flop, do not assume that you're a bad writer and every book that you're going to release is going to be a flop. So do the best you can, of course, for your debut. You only get one debut. Make it everything you can be, everything it can be. But at the same time, know that your entire career doesn't hinge on that single book. And do what you can and carry on, good, bad, or otherwise. I, I think that would probably be one of the, the biggest things. The other thing, like I said, networking and learn all you can from everyone who can who is willing to teach you or every outlet that you can learn it from because there is so much to learn. I as you said, I've been in this industry now for five, six years, and I am learning something new every single day. So if you are not actively seeking it out, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage for no good reason. Well said. And for people who are established in this industry, it's really important for us to continue to learn. So what advice do you have for those of us who have been around the block? I would say, as I mentioned earlier, don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of adapting. Don't be afraid to accept the hard words of this is no longer working. You need to do something different, whether that is in your manuscripts, in your writing style, part of your brand or part of your marketing. Um, I think that's a really important one. I, I think constantly seeking out new experts in the field is a big one because of the fact that everything is constantly changing unless the experts are also changing with it, which some experts do and other experts don't. Um, it can be important to seek out new outlets for information. Um, I also think long-term, again, going, going back to that networking thing, but again, on the more personal side, I have, I am blessed with a fantastic support group of friends who are writers who I can just pick up the phone or go on Facebook in a group. And I can be like, guys, I am having a really hard day because of X, Y, Z. And everyone gets it because publishing is a weird industry. And unless you're in it, even the most well-meaning friend or family member probably isn't going to get it. So 
having other authors in your corner just for that sanity or just for that, I'm thinking of doing this, is this a bad idea? I need another author who's been in this business too to tell me to to walk me off this ledge or to give me a little push if I need to be a baby bird and fly. Um, that I think is is so critical and so helpful to to authors to have that community. Again, a real community and not just what can I do for you? What can you do for me? Transactional, but true bonds, true coworkers, um, because humans are social creatures. We need each other. And again, you are much better off as an author being friends than being a competitor. You know, I think that's really important. And I love that you call them coworkers because other authors aren't our competition. They don't need to be competing with us. They are our coworkers. And I yeah. love that that is how you put that. That's a great way to end this. Before I let you go, tell me a little bit about your books. What do we need to know? So I have, as I mentioned, a ton of books out. A lot of people ask me where they should start. I always say it depends on what you're in the mood for. Any of my series, you can start with book one of that series and jump in there. I have three series in my Air Awakens universe, which is my big YA universe. Um, the three books ones are Vortex Visions, Air Awakens, which was my debut, and The Crown's Dog. All of those books are a little bit different from each other. The Crown's Dog is kind of, think like buddy cop bros, murder pirate murder mystery, out having fun sort of thing. Air Awakens is very fantasy romance on the romance heavy, dark sorcerer princes and the girls who love them but shouldn't. Um, and Vortex Visions has a little bit of that slow burn simmer romance, but it is a lot more of a sweeping fantasy epic that's just going to take you on an adventure to places you never thought it would go. So... And of course I wrote them at different points in time and I was a very different author for each of them. So if you pick up Air Awakens and you hate it, you know, try Vortex Visions. You may like that better. That may that may resonate with you more. But again, you can start with any first book in the series. Vortex Visions is the first book of Air Awakens Vortex Chronicles, which is my current series right now. Uh, the fifth and final book of that series is out in March. As I mentioned, I do have my Patreon going on, patreon.com forward slash Elise Kova, the crowdsource novel. Um, I'm hopefully it's going to be an exciting year for all of that. And I don't really know what else I have going on because like I said, I'm, I'm taking a couple months to reconnect with my muse and sort of detox my creative process. And I'm going to come back and hit it hard in early April and figure out what my publishing schedule for the next couple of years looks like. Fantastic. And if people want to reach out to you, uh, where can they find you, your Patreon and your social media? So I am on social media everywhere. I'm on Twitter at Elise Kova, Instagram, Elise.Kova or Elise Kova on Facebook. If you go to my website, EliseKova.com, that's E-L-I-S-E-K-O-V-A.com. I have links to all of my social media and all of my books there. I also have a contact form on my, on my website too. So if you have a question, feel free to reach out. And if you are an aspiring author, I also do offer, offer author coaching um, and writing coaching. And there's more information about that on my website website too. Well, Elise, thank you so much for coming on and giving us all this great information today. You are always such a wealth of knowledge. I love hanging out with you on Young Adult Edition, our live broadcast talk show, and here on Hey, I'm Writing, our spinoff podcast. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great and happy writing, everyone. So there you have it, book lovers. Every single time I hang out with Elise, she delivers such great content to my viewers, and I love hanging out with her. In fact, behind the scenes, we had some incredible conversations, and we're actually going to be bringing them to you in upcoming podcast episodes as well. So if there's something you would like to learn from Elise, go ahead and drop us a line. Come on over to heyimwriting.com and send me an email because I would love to hear from you guys on what you would like to learn from Elise going further into her author career. Now, here's a fun fact for you. I actually met Elise at PendCon in St. Louis last year, and we had a great time at that conference. But you guys know I have been traveling around doing all sorts of conventions and book signings and speaking engagements. And so in our next episode, I'm actually going to be breaking down what it looks like to be an author at a convention. So not just as a reader, not just as someone going to see the convention, but as someone working as a vendor who has a table, who is signing books, what it looks like from the moment you sign up for your table or you get asked to this event to the moment that you walk through the door and everything that happens until you leave the building that day. 
I'm going to break down exactly what everything looks like so that you can feel like you're on the journey too. And if you happen to be an author, we're going to get you prepared for your next convention. So you do not want to miss out on this one. It's going to be a great episode. Make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast wherever you happen to be listening so that you don't miss out on our future episodes. We've got some incredible authors coming up on the podcast in the not too distant future and some great behind the scenes as we pull back the curtain and look at the messier side of the publishing industry that very few people are actually talking about. And of course, if you can't wait until the next episode, I would love for you to come join us on Young Adult Edition, my weekly live broadcast talk show with my co-host Amber Arduel and Elle Beaumont. You can join us every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Facebook.com slash Young Adult Edition as we go live with all these incredible people. In fact, right as this podcast drops, you will be excited to hear that Elise Kova is coming on Young Adult Edition this Monday. So if you're listening as this episode airs, come on over to Young Adult Edition because we are talking to her in real time and you can ask your questions while we're on air. You do not want to miss out on this opportunity to hang out with her in person while we're on air during Young Adult Edition chatting all about her new crowdsource novel through her Patreon. So we're going to be breaking down what that looks like, the behind the scenes, and how it's going right now. So come join us. It's going to be all kinds of fun. And we're now giving out weekly physical prizes. So that means a printed copy of a book, swag, all sorts of amazing things from authors that you know and love or maybe have yet to meet. And all you have to do is come chat with us to be eligible to win those amazing prizes and we don't even limit how many you can win. So you can win week after week after week if you keep coming back to talk to us. Come hang out over at Young Adult Edition. We can't wait to see you there every single Monday. And make sure you stay tuned for new episodes of Hey, I'm Writing, the- which drop every single Saturday. I hope you guys are enjoying this amazing series here at Hey, I'm Writing. I will see you again in the next episode. Until then, heyimwriting.com and youngadultedition.com for more information on these two epic shows. I'm your host, K.M. Robinson, and I will see you guys again in the next episode. We're talking all about what it's like to be an author at a convention. See you then.